Hello, this is Robert Yoho, Dr. Yoho with the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have my friend George here. He's a top engineer and airplane geek since childhood, and he says the chemical the chemtrails theory of us getting sprayed with all kinds of stuff is essentially asinine, and we dissected Dane Wigington, former solar panel installer turned airplane conspiracy czar. He and his scary urban legend did not survive the surgery. Caveat, there is a lot of problem with jet plane pollution, and um, George will get into that in more detail. But to kick this off, I will say, uh, give you a quote from Dane's uh, flagship video. And let's see if I've got it here. Just give me a second. Okay, what he says is the basic building blocks of climate engineering are to saturate the atmosphere with extraordinarily powerful light-scattering particles like barium, aluminum, strontium, and manganese. The particles are then manipulated with extraordinarily powerful microwave transmissions, transmissions that are used to heat the upper layers of the atmosphere, like the ionosphere, transmissions that can create pressure zones that can steer upper-level wind currents, that can steer weather zones. These particulates, when stimulated with these frequencies, can literally move air masses. They are extraordinarily powerful and dangerous microwave transmissions. And so I didn't understand any of that. And one of my rules of thumb is that when someone can, uh, he makes an assertion and can't explain what they're saying to me uh, in a way that I can understand and find credible, I throw it out. I dismiss it out of hand. So, George, you're going to give us more about um, the, 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 what's really happening. And it's not all pretty, but it's nothing like uh, Wigington maintains. So go ahead. Have at it. Thank you. Did you tell, uh, tell us about your uh, background a little bit first? Yeah, I can give you some background. Um, so I, you know, as a as a young kid, I, as you noted, uh, as you noted earlier, I was a, a plane geek. I think one of the earliest memories I have is I looked up in the sky and I saw, um, you know, one of those white trails and I pointed up and I said, look, look, grandpa, an airplane. <laughs> and I was like really young. Um, but I grew up in Southwestern Ontario and I didn't grow up in a large city. It was a, a, a smallish city, uh, but it was in an air corridor where a lot of planes flew over. And we had a very, um, quiet but large airport and we had every year we would have air shows and i would every single year i would go watch the air show and all the military planes and commercial planes would come in they'd fly in from the u.s and all over canada and you get to go walk up to them go in the planes and so you know i i was always enamored with them um when i went to university i studied engineering so i studied a combination of mechanical electrical computer engineering uh specifically um uh, I have some expertise in communication systems as well. And uh, so so I understand things like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, all those sorts of things that those are the some of the topics for the sort of the foundational topics we studied. And then I uh, I've had a career, uh, a long career as a as a software uh, software, both software developer, consultant, and now uh, an executive for software companies. Uh, I've covered a lot of different um, I've worked building software in a lot of different fields. So I've, I've had a very broad-based exposure to a lot of different businesses, uh, including airlines and uh, and pharmaceuticals and, and a few others, banking. <laughs> so there's a whole set of things that that I've worked in, industries that I've worked in. Um, it, it's Before we go on, I got to yeah. ask you about that Bluetooth, because I've got a friend who has a cell phone app that shows that he thinks shows how the micro robots are taking over all of his friends because there's an alphanumeric code that shows up for everybody in the room, at least the vaccinated ones. So tell me what you think of that, because this is one of the things that, I, well, I debunked one of, I think I debunked one of the uh, purveyors of this micro robot uh, theory. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I, 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 I really glad you actually posted that when I, when I listened to it, I was like, finally, someone's, someone's saying, I get a lot of people will send me, you know, videos of stuff. So I, I often, and, you know, I, and I like to be fair, I'll, I'll listen to them. I'll, I'll take a fair bit of time and I'll go through them little bits by bit. 
So I don't know how many times people have sent me the videos of look under this microscope and see <laughs> these things that are forming. And I'm so I look whenever I look at these any sort of video or documentary, I, I do there's a couple of sniff tests that come out right away. And when I see a video of a microscope, my first question is how do I validate what I'm seeing is what they're saying? And there's absolutely no way. I remember in high school looking under microscopes and you squirt the little liquid in, all sorts of stuff moves around. It's Brownian motion. Yeah. And it, yeah. Oh, yeah, so you would know better than I would. And then, you know, the I light. don't know it better than you do. I just know the word. <laughs> and then the light shining on it's going to add heat, right? So that's going to make things move around. And then if you leave it there for hours and do like a time lapse video on it, stuff's going to crystallize. So we have no idea what they're seeing and, you know, and I can take part of Sure. I can take little particles and they might be affected by magnets and things like that. But the idea that they're forming into a microchip that then has it like these microchips that run your Bluetooth, for instance, they're very complicated. There's no way that a random radio signal is going to show up on a Bluetooth scanner with a proper address. There are so many complex things that have to happen for that little address to show up. And it's not gonna be caused by a random coagulation of metals that somehow reflect off a of radio. It just doesn't happen. Not only that, it, what would be the purpose? It can't even call home. Like if you know any sort of network, and I think that one of the people you pointed to, one of their substacks goes through kind of the networking protocols and how they work. And they were bang on. Like there's so much complexity involved. It just simply is inconceivable. The smallest thing I know of that that's well-known technology is the RFID chips. And those are really simple technology. They won't show up on a Bluetooth scanner. And so what the heck are those, those codes that show up? My friend looks at his cell phone oh. every 15 minutes and says, oh God, they're going to kill us all. I mean, here's another SNP test. If someone says that you can test this out with a cell phone based on the fact that it can detect the signal strength or the direction, it's nonsense because a cell phone is not a good meter or measure of it. What it's detecting is another Bluetooth signal. And that Bluetooth signal is from some device, but there's so many devices these days that have Bluetooth signals, like everything. You're, in this room, you know, in my house, I probably have 10, 12 devices for five people that all have Bluetooth signals, right? It's somebody's ear pods, somebody's iPods, these speakers, the your car, your all those things. And Bluetooth can, like some Bluetooth signals can go as far as 100 feet. So, you know, people talk about walking through the graveyard and they're detecting all these Bluetooth signals and it must be coming from the ground because when they walk over here, it's stronger and weaker. And I'm like, A, your cell phone can't detect the signal strength nor the direction the signal's coming from. It could be coming from 100 feet away, the car's driving by and there's three or four signals in one car because they got their ear pods and they got their car itself talks Bluetooth, all those things talk, it's that... Whenever I hear someone saying they measured it with their cell phone, I'm like, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. It, it's that simple. So so the, these two narratives, the microscopic robots and the horrible planes up above spraying us with God knows what, they've scared the hell out of me. And both, both of them, I smelled a rat, but I wasn't, I didn't spend the four or five hours necessary to sort of validate my opinion that it was nonsense until recently. And so my, my listeners can refer to the post about the, uh, the microscopic robots. And I think I pretty, did a pretty good job destroying that author. Um, they, and then, then this one is my second fear. And I mean, I thought it was game over, but I, it was just an emotional reaction without any analysis. So sorry to interrupt you, George. I just got to do the one quick uh, Hitler quote from Mein Kampf. He says that people believe big lies far more easily than they believe small lies. And these things are big lies. I mean, it's just, it's absurd when you think about it, that the robot, the microscopic robots are going to kill us or that the fact that there's a conspiracy with every single jet plane in the sky to rain this garbage on us. And I've heard very serious people quote the, uh, the Dane or whatever, whatever his name is, 
and they they said oh gosh there every single country in the world is involved with this and it's it's very dark so we're all shell-shocked from COVID and all that other stuff, but we have never seen the cabal deploy big-time technology like beam weapons or anything as complicated as as uh, even uh, the 5G, you know, in an effective fashion. So anyway. Yeah, I like the way you described that in one of your writings recently where you said, you know, they don't use complicated stuff because complicated stuff goes wrong all the time. Um uh, yeah. So the the chemtrail one is an interesting one because, you know, I've, I've been studying, uh, you know, pharmaceutical things for a long time. And a lot of the people I was working with, someone, one of them already 10 years ago brought up this chemtrail thing. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, what, what you see up in the sky? I said, that's a chemtrail. They're like, no, it's a chemtrail. Like, what is it? They're, they're spraying us. And I'm like, no. I, you know, my initial reaction was that's utter nonsense. Like, because I've been I've been studying planes for years. I worked in the airline industry. Like it just it just was incomprehensible to me that all these trails in the sky were planes spraying. I, I just completely did. But then I ran into some other people that are very intelligent people, very critical thinkers, and they're saying the same thing. And I'm like, well, maybe I better look into this, right? Let, let's let's I'll take a whole day, many hours, because it takes a long time to debunk even even 30 minutes of one of those videos they pack in so much stuff you have to go through it one thing at a time I have to stop it listen to it write it down get an answer to it then go to the next but i took the time see george george is a more scientific guy than i am i use social proof and i can do it in about four or five hours in other words, I look at, I look at the context. I look at the the what the people have written, and if they're writing about archons, is that the is that how you say it? Archons, I think. Archons, how yeah. If you're writing about archons and space invaders, you know they're either fruitcake, they're bought off, or they're stupid. So anyway, go ahead, tell me more. Well, I, you know, I, I sometimes I think your your way is better than mine, but I, I guess I like to argue the details with people. So right. then you have to go through the details. And a lot of the stuff does fall apart the details. But what I've noticed is a lot of people that are either intentionally or unintentionally misleading, they take real things. So there's real things in all these videos, but they mix it very quickly with these grand assumptions or leaps of faith. And, and it's very hard to discern which is which especially if you're not an expert or even knowledgeable in that topic. If you don't know how dead engines work or you don't know how planes or the plane industry works, how would you know, right? And I, and I had, so I thought, okay, I'm going to look at this. So I, I remember um, I went and I, and I brought up the, uh, I brought up the, 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 the big, the big documentary and right away, you know, in the opening sequence, there's, they, you know, this already sets me off on the wrong foot. They're they're putting little images of stuff very quickly that you can barely see, but it's like patterns of this. And patterns. You're talking about the dimming. Yes, Bain's I think it's a masterpiece. It's yes. a master. I mean, it's expensively produced. There's yep. dramatic music throughout, yep. and then there's clips of these horrifying images. Some of which, I mean, there's even one clip of this, uh, like a firestone co coming from this cloud. You know, yeah. obviously it was Photoshop somehow. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, this is just it. And the clip lasts, what, two seconds? So you can exactly. barely see it and then it flicks I off. screenshotted it all and I'll include it in the show notes for all the pleasure, viewing pleasure of uh, the listeners. But right off, you know, when I'm looking at these things and evaluating them right off, when I see people talk about patents, I get wary right off the bat because a lot of people misunderstand patents. And I, I work... I've been working in software and software, we, we do a lot of patents and a lot of companies I work for. I even have a patent in my name and there's all these other things, but they, they don't understand what the intent of patents is. The whole intent of a patent is to make, is to, is if you created an invention, you, 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 you don't have to create it. You've ideated an invention. You have an idea. You think that idea can make money. You make it public by publishing it in a patent, and then you own the rights to it, which means anyone who wants to do it has to pay you to do it. That's why you publish a patent. 
if you're doing something you want to keep secret, you never patent upon a patent in a million years. You never publish it. And I've worked for lots of companies where we create something. We don't want anyone to know how we're doing it. And the last thing we would do is create a patent. It, it's just, and the next thing is you can patent an idea and never, ever do anything with it. Just because someone publishes a patent, A, it doesn't mean it works. In fact, I would be willing to bet the vast majority of patents don't actually work the way they say. You don't even have to try to make it work. All you have to do is publish a patent. People assume when they see a patent, and they use this in arguing all the time. I've seen it, you know, oh, they're, well, this is the whole, uh, <laughs> this is the microchip thing. We'll go back to that. You know, this Game over, George. Uh, what's that? Game over. <laughs> you know, Microsoft published a patent where they injected you with something that transmitted to, a, you know, whatever, and then they were downloading all your data. Sure, that's an idea someone could do. It doesn't mean they're actually doing it. it. doesn't mean they made it. doesn't mean they're publishing it. It doesn't mean anything other than it's an idea. And maybe it's plausible. But that's it. There's a, ideas are dime a dozen. There's a million ideas, nefarious, good. Just because someone wrote it down to patent doesn't mean anything. So it's less than $10,000 to patent something. Is that correct? Um, it depends. I don't know what the cost is today. It used to be three to five thousand. Maybe it's up to ten now. Probably inflation, but yeah, that sounds about right. And um, you probably do it cheaper if you did it yourself. And there's there's all sorts of stuff. But it, honestly, uh, when anyone is using the patent as the argument of the existence of something, I I right away get my red flags up because it doesn't mean it exists. It just means there's an idea. No. It's, it, it might be interesting to talk about a patent, but don't say because the patent exists, therefore they're doing it. Doesn't It doesn't fly. So there's patents right away in the first few minutes of that thing. So right away, I'm just like, oh, I don't like that. Um, so the, his website, just for reference, so anybody can go watch this thing if you want and look at the quality of it, uh, is Geoengineering Watch. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'll check it out. Go ahead. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. It's got tons of stuff on there. You know, and th there's a few things that, that he talks about very quickly. They go through a ton of stuff. So there's a couple of things I agree with. Do government have governments sprayed stuff in the sky? Absolutely. They have military programs have tried out stuff. They experiment all the time, right? They sprayed biological ticks and they've sprayed these things. Of course they have. Uh, do they spray to influence and control the weather? Yeah, you can actually pay an insurance company to go see the cloud with silver or something or other causes the size of hail to be smaller, causes more rain, causes hail to be smaller, and it damages the cars less. You can actually pay an insurance company to do that. So that's real. Do they lie about things? Does the government ever lie about things? Sure, the government lies about things. We all know that. I agree with that too. Has... Have the, has the government tried to modify the weather in the past? Sure, in the 50s, they tried to fly planes with dry ice into hurricanes to see if they could move them around and do stuff. It's well documented. And they stopped because they couldn't really do too much. They had some effect, but they couldn't control it. They were probably damaging their planes because I can't imagine it's good to fly planes into hurricanes. You know, all those things are true. Does that mean? It doesn't mean. None of those things mean that every single trail you see in the sky is chemicals being sprayed on you. I mean, right off the bat, that, that's what he's saying. So the next thing in that video he goes into pretty early on is he talks about the jet engines. And one of the things he's saying is that jet engines changed, you know, over the last three or four decades, they used to be smaller, they grew bigger, and he uses some technical terms. And then he makes the claim that the newer jet engines, which are called high bypass engines, that's when they're, they're much bigger. You can see if you look at pictures of planes from the 70s and 80s, the jet engines, you know, were this big and they sat fully under the wing. And today, if you look at them, they're like this big and they sit in front of the wing, usually ahead of it because they, they narrow and then they go down. But what they're doing is they're flowing more air through the engine or, or around the around the jet. And they create, they're just more efficient engines. That's why they, they keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, but he makes the claim there that these high bypass engines 
were designed so that it was impossible to create contrails or condensation trails of the of the traditional type. And his inference is that the trails you see, therefore, must be from something else. They must be from spraying. And then he shows little clips of videos of these little tubes on the on the parts of airplanes. Okay, so let's just stop right there. First off, the jet engines have changed 100%. But there's nothing in the design of the jet engine that prevents contrails in the newer engines versus the old engines. And in fact, the contrails are created by two things. One is water vapor. There's not a lot of water vapor in those engines. And the second is the water in the air will form around the particles of the exhaust and they will create clouds. Now, both the old engines and the new engines burn fuel. So they're both creating exhaust. It is the claim that the newer engine is designed to not create contrail. Right away, I'm just like, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Just even the basics of it's, they're both giving off exhaust. If the contrails form off the exhaust, both of them are going to form contrails. Now, I'll, I'll go into it a bit later. The newer engines actually form more contrails for a variety of reasons, and, and that's what a lot of people are observing. But he goes on, and then those little, and they, they flick the picture so quickly of the little tubes, you can't even see it. Airplanes are full of little tubes because those are called pitot tubes and they measure the air pressure at a particular point in the plane. Those are critical for the um, the controls of the plane. So, you know, when the plane's flying and, you know, there's a bit of, uh, uh, it, it dips to the left or dips to the right, the plane itself tries to automatically adjust. The way it knows how to do that is by the pressure sensors. Those pressure sensors are those little tubes. So they're all over the plane because the plane controls rely on these things and the instruments rely on those things. So to flash a picture of a little tube and say that's a spraying tube, I'm like, well, there's a ton of tubes on the plane. How do you know that tube is a spraying tube? I mean, it just, that, so, so, so we go into, so this is just within, I think the first five minutes of that video. And right away, there's like tons of red flags going up because I know for a fact his claim on the jet engines is just plain wrong. I know that he's misleading and pointing to tubes on the plane and saying there's they must be sprayers when they don't have to be sprayers. There's a lot of tubes on all the planes and they're for sensing device, they're for sensing the air pressure. Um and then this the and then the 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 patent thing. And then I mean the video goes on and on. They say, you know. There's metals, they're measuring more metals in the air and in the ground. Well, let's talk about that. But, you know, if you measure a car exhaust, there's metals in the car exhaust. If you measure, you know, when I was growing up, what was the big thing? It was acid rain, I remember, was the big thing because all the, you know, the cold generation plants were spewing sulfur into the, the lower atmosphere and that would rain down and create acidic uh, things. But, I mean... Those coal plants were pouring tons of metals into the environment. And most manufacturing processes are still pouring metals, uh, spewing metals in their emissions. So how do we know that the metals you're measuring in the air and the ground in that video are coming from the airplanes? Now, the air, it turns out the airplanes are, the airplane pollution has those metals in it. So it could be coming from the planes, but it also could be coming from uh, you know, some plant 100 miles to the east. And then mercury is a mess. And I've, you know, I've been studying this because of my Parkinson's and the toxic effects of these metals. And um, mercury, the biggest source is dental amalgams, which is, are in <laughs> roughly half of us. It's crazy. And they're tremendously toxic. And a lot of people have tremendous relief when they get them out. And the second biggest source, of course, is vaccines. Now they banned it or almost banned it in 2003 or something like that but now they're using aluminum which is nearly as bad and the mercury still exists in the flu vaccine multi-use vial so i mean it's anyway sorry to interrupt your train of thought well just to clarify too the aluminum has always been in those vaccines in addition to the mercury so uh the aluminum is a required part of the vaccine the adjuvant right so yeah 
triggers a reaction on purpose. Um, but yeah, so the aluminum. Now, I mean, I think you posted about Dr. Exley, who does all oh, the- Oh, Exley is a fascinating guy. He's been, yeah. uh, he, he's had his career decimated by the aluminum industry and they've tried to shut him up, but he's still still yeah. writing. Uh, he He's the only major research lab about aluminum that was uh, bringing it down, you know? And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what he writes is 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 super credible. Like he's done thirty years of real science on this. They stuff. call him the Aluminum Man, <laughs> and, and and he talks about aluminum pollution and whether it's from from injections or anything else, it's bad. It's definitely not good. Um, so you know, and pollution is a real problem. I mean, uh, we we talked last time we were on the phone. We were talking just briefly about it when when we were growing up. When I was growing up, there was a lot more pollution in the waters. <laughs> Some of the water you just couldn't go into because I remember even where when I, where I lived in the town, there was a 3M plant that was building transformers, electrical transformers, and they were dumping dioxins into the creek. Right. And then the kids would play in the creek and, and we're bathing, bathing in the dioxin. I mean, that stuff's toxic, very no well-known poisons and toxic. And, you know, when you can talk about the coal burning plants and the tailings, you know, they dump them in the river. They have act. I mean, that stuff's been going on, but that's actually gotten better over my lifetime. We produced certain types of pollution. But I do think the aluminum's increasing as Dr. Exley has, has elaborated uh, in quite a bit of detail. The industry is just phenomenally irresponsible and the regulatory uh, process is completely inefficient because they buy the regulators, just like for the the medicine. Yeah. I mean, the FDA is completely bought. Their, their industry is 50% supplied by big pharma and it's 5 billion against a, a 20 times or 100 times bigger in, industry that they're trying to regulate. I mean, the entire medical industry, which arguably they have some influence over, in theory, uh, is uh, $4 trillion in the United States alone. So a $5 billion operation, and they're, they're completely bought off. All the regulators have a revolving door when they leave and they get to get some cushy industry job. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, so, so those, are, those are real problems. And I don't want to downplay those, but again, it's, it's a pollution problem that we've faced my whole lifetime, frankly. It's always a regulator industry problem. And that's the other thing I do. I try to do as I follow the money. One of the things when you follow the money, where is the industry money for them to spray us with chemicals? And this was the this is the last part. I know. <laughs> really? I know about the industry, the airline industry. The airline industry is super, super price sensitive, and like the, the their main costs are fuel personnel like pilots and flight attendants and mechanics and all that stuff and then the planes themselves right those are the it's a huge in the smallest airline is a huge capital expenditure they got to buy expensive planes they got to set up all these operations even to fly let's say four planes it's not it's not a small deal so they're super price sensitive the lat and it, they're so price sensitive and what's interesting is they try to reduce the weight on the plane as much as possible. So when you're flying from point A to B, they figure out exactly how long they need to fly. They put the, they have a required buffer that they need to be able to fly further in case something goes wrong or they need to try and land five times or something. Um, and then they put just that amount of fuel on the plane. They never fill up the plane because it's heavier then and it'll cost them more. Even even more interesting is um, when they take off, they calculate exactly the weight of the plane, where the weight is balanced in the plane, and they select the thrust level to the minimum they can to use the longest amount of runway because they use less fuel that way. So they do all these hoops to reduce the amount of fuel they're using why on earth would they carry extra chemicals to spray in the sky? It just makes absolutely no business sense at all. And, and no no airline in the United States is profitable consistently except for Southwest. They're all freaking on the verge of bankruptcy every minute. That's why they're so price cons conscious. And there's no way they would take on extra weight on a plane to spray. And, and can you imagine how many pilots would have to be in on? I mean, in Danes, in, in that... Uh, in that documentary, they show a 
a contrail starting and stopping and starting again. They're like, look, they can switch it on and off. And I'm like, are you telling me there's not uh, over 30 years, there's not one single pilot who has come out and said, yeah, I flicked the switch on my regular flight here. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spray these guys in this city and then I'm going to switch it. Like, honestly, I, I actually know one of my in-laws is a commercial pilot turning on a spray button and turning it off like it's just i don't understand he, he'd Why? never tell you he's in on the conspiracy uh, he's in on <laughs> all of them are in on it for the last 40 years they've been intentionally all poisoning us and not one has stepped forward you know i'm sure dane in dane's video or one of those other documentaries they show an air force retired pilot who's talking about it but he doesn't say he switched it on or off he says the contrails look different now than when I was flying. That's what he's saying. <laughs> okay. And there's an explanation for that. We'll go into that in a second. But again, it just doesn't make any sense from even a follow the money perspective. What does make sense is there's a pollution problem they don't want to fix. That's a follow the money problem for sure. You know, so, so right away, there's just so many things that for me were going against it, but I couldn't explain. People are saying, the contrails look more. And I thought to myself, you know, you can't remember what you had for breakfast last week, but you can remember <laughs> 30 years ago, the contrails were different. I've been watching planes for a long time. I used to, I remember the contrails. There's a lot more planes flying today than there were 20 years ago. There's a lot more planes flying than there were 40 years ago. Maybe that's part the, of it. The figure I heard years ago, maybe five, seven years ago, was 250,000 flights occur in the United States alone every freaking 24 hours. So internationally, I mean, who knows? It's got to be a multiple of that. It's a huge number of flights. It's enormous. Um, and, you know, then then I see pictures, you know, some posted on Facebook and there's lines in the sky. Look what they've done. They've sprayed <laughs> these lines in the sky. And I'm just like, well, first off, if they were trying to spray you, they wouldn't be doing it at 30,000 feet because it's going to stay up there for a long time. In fact, um, Jim Lee talks about this. It takes, I think, three years to come down from the stratosphere. It's going to take three years to rain out on you. We know we know these dust storms, right? They, they go in Africa and then they float all the way across the Pacific and they start to cloud our sky over here. That stuff stays up there. It's not They're not spraying you if they were, they're not even spraying, but if they were spraying, they're not spraying you. And then why are there lines? Well, the air is moving. So if a plane flies by and then an hour later, another plane flies by, it's going to be moved. And then it's going to move and then it's going to move. So, you know, there's not once, I have not once seen someone who took a picture of the sky and then said, here's where I'm located and then overlaid the flight paths in that area. Not once. And I tried to look a couple up and I thought, okay, I'm going to go spend a couple hours to figure this out. And then I go look up the city and the flight paths are like all over the place. And I'm like, well, you can see almost anything in the sky then if they're flying over you like that. Look, just look at the chart. It shows you the airline, the, the paths are there. Nobody's doing that due diligence. So I'm always suspicious. So anyways, we come to. So recently I came across the an interview with a fellow named Jim Lee and he he, unlike Dane, um, talks about facts. <laughs> he talks about facts, and he does deep investigation into it. So what he did, it, and what, I don't know when he got into this, quite a few years ago. He's got a website too, but most people have never heard of his website because his website's not promoted. That, um, just to bring up, up this, a very good rule of thumb to understand whether somebody is cooperating with the panicky agenda that we're seeing or possibly even being paid by we we can't speculate on their motives because a lot of them are crazy um but the the great rule of thumb or heuristic is how well their videos are doing and whether or not they can survive on youtube and i can tell you i'm a very small animal but i get stricken from youtube after a half an hour uh these these guys have a huge presences i I think Dane Dane's major website he's got I mean 435 million views or some crazy thing. I you can you can go on there and have a look. I may have misquoted that. Uh but we we're not speculating on motives, but as far as I'm concerned they're either shills or they're paid off. And uh you know 
or they're or they're nutcases, one of the three. But we don't know what, what we're not saying. The Dane's a nut, and we're not saying he's paid off. But I think there's no other possibility unless someone else could enlighten us. I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. In that you're very generous, George. I am. I'm a generous guy. <laughs> you're a generous guy. You're not very worked up. The rest, that's, that's, you know, what I've seen is that these two, these two narratives i'll call them narratives the microscopic robots and the the stuff that's raining out of the sky they just panicked a lot of people and i tell you i didn't i would didn't feel very good about it until i and i spent only about five hours on the microscopic robots and i i looked at her the malhasia from several different perspectives but none of it had to do with looking into microscopes i didn't have to do that she had on her website she had all these horrifying images that she got from the lord of the rings videos she's talking about all this pyramidal stuff that was happened before any before prehistory and oh my god it just went on and on and talked about the cyborg warriors i mean it's just it's just nut job stuff and the people that are unsophisticated or vulnerable just get swept up in the panic. And and to, and it's and it's fair because if you don't understand the underlying and and it, over my career it's taken me a while to because we all have the curse of knowledge right we all think everybody knows what we know um, but I, I have an engineering degree and I work in this stuff so I know a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't know and when they look up in the sky they don't know how a jet engine works or even how a plane works. And to me, it's just like second nature. I know these things work. Um, so it's obvious to me right away that there's something wrong with that theory. But other people, I, I guess I can see why they wouldn't know because they just don't know any different. They're not um, geeks like you, George. They're not geeks like <laughs> me. That's right. And, and you know, I think that someone can be misled, not intentionally. They can be misleading because they really believe something, but others can take advantage of that and amplify it to create fear. And I think that that's there's definitely an intent to create fear somewhere. That's the big big phenomenon we're seeing, and, and that's why I mean there are a lot of horrible things. Everybody's shell shocked from the COVID vax, but this stuff you you know is part of a vast network of conspiracies to mess with our heads. And I, I'd like like everybody to forget about these people. And, and it did not get censored, right? Like it, it's all over YouTube. It's it's all over Facebook. The like pictures I get them. I still get them all the time. Look, they're spraying us. It's all over. Yeah. The, maybe it has a little fact check on it, but that doesn't mean anything, right? They they love to let that stuff go. If it if 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 people if there are people who don't want you to know. They, they censor it. We saw that all over the place. A lot, like you just mentioned, your stuff gets taken down very fast. So I, um, I'm just a, I'm just sniffing at the entrance to the rabbit hole compared to George. George went down the rabbit hole, looked all around and came back out. <laughs> but so let's go, let's go into the detail. And this is great because you can walk through it. So what, what Jim Lee says, um, what, what he articulates very clearly is that the jet fuel standard changed in in 19 in the 80s so what they what they did was uh nato so this was nato you mentioned it earlier they're doing this in 40 countries yes they are because nato countries there's about 40 of them all standardized on the same jet fuel now why did they do that they did that because they can buy it in bulk and they get a better deal for it and they can interchange parts and use fuel from one to another and all sorts of, just makes a lot of things easier is this so, 20 years ago roughly 1988 1988 longer it took them eight years to transition so the transition was finished in 1996 so at that point all the planes were converted and then the commercial planes uh converted to jet fuel so the the, the military planes were all using jp8 which is very similar to the commercial aviation fuel that all the commercial airlines started using, which was Jet uh, 1 and Jet 1A. Now, the military planes, they put additives in the fuel, and they put additives in the fuel to keep it from freezing. So, you know, when they go up high, when they fly up high, high altitudes or long flights, it's quite cold up there, and the fuel freezes, and when the fuel freezes, the planes tend to crash, so they don't like that, and... Uh, now the other the other interesting thing is that early planes uh, were ran on more gasoline type fuel, so it, 
This is important background information. So gasoline is a much higher refined fuel than um, what they use today, which is kerosene. Now, when they use gasoline, well, everybody knows this, right? You've probably seen the videos that the, you're in the uh, gas station and there's a spark and the fire starts on the, on the end of the thing, right? And it catches fire because gasoline is very explosive and the gases are explosive. So having a military plane full of gasoline, it gets shot and it tends to explode pretty quickly. Um, if there's a bit of an accident or gasoline leaks out or breaks a bit, it will explode. That's no good for commercial airlines either. Um, so they switch to a less explosive fuel, which is further down the chain or up or down, depending on which way you're looking at it, but it's down the chain of refinement. So it's less refined. So they're paraffin called paraffin, which is interesting because wax is actually quite smoky uh, or sooty, right? Um, so they're paraffin fuels, which is kerosene based. So the planes, you know, somewhere 50 years ago, 60 years ago, all transitioned to kerosene based fuels. And then in 1988, 96, they standardized on this one standard of kerosene. So what happened during that time is that fuel had different amounts of metals in it. And they have a lot of metals. It's actually quite quite a few in there. There's aluminum, there's titanium, there's uh, Jim Lee on his site has, uh, he shows it, there's, there's at least 10, 12 different metals in, in the jet fuel. They know it's in the jet fuel. You can measure it in the jet fuel. You can, you can measure the exhaust. It's in the exhaust. Um, it's not really a hidden thing. He just researched it and it's there. Now, Interestingly, he tells the story and he says, because his uh, father-in-law or no stepfather was actually a jet fuel uh, expert for the military. And he called him up and he said, hey, when they switched jet fuel standards, was there a big change? And the guy said, for sure there was. We had to redesign all the engines because the amount of soot coming out was huge. So when they switched the standard, the amount of soot coming out of the exhaust was a lot more. So, and the, these are verifiable facts. So there was a standardization of the jet fuels. They all moved to them. They're much dirtier than they used to be. And they generate a lot of soot. And they have all these metals in them. Because crude oil has all those metals in them, right? In gasoline, there's less of it because it's further refined. Some of it's removed. In cars, cars have all this cleaning stuff to, you know, catalytic converters and the exhaust and all these sorts of things to take some of those pollutants out of the exhaust. And cars are much more expensive to maintain. Even in our lifetime, I, I remember, um, you know, when I was growing up in the 70s, there was lead in the gasoline and the haze around the cities was huge. Yeah, Los Angeles is a mess. Yeah. And it's gotten and way better. It's way better because they've changed the car emissions. The cars are running on cleaner fuels. They took lead out of it. I mean, lead was a disaster, right? I, I don't know if you've seen the numbers of how many people that has killed or reduced IQs over the however many years it was used. The interesting thing is um, small planes still have lead in their fuel. The little prop planes, they still have lead in their fuel. But anyways, that's Does it burn story. better? Uh, it, it was a lubricant, so it prevent it it acted as a lubricant. That's why it was injected in it. It was a cheap lubricant that they could do. Yeah. Well, just lead is one of the things that I've got too much of, along with mercury and aluminum. <laughs> you know, well, and, and maybe it contributes to the Parkinson's. You know, so, so you know you're a bit older than me, so you were exposed to it far longer than I was when I was growing. But as a kid, I was exposed to the air. There was lead it was everywhere, and then it was in the paint, right? A yeah. lot of most of the outdoor paints had it. There was it was all over the place. Um, so a lot of people have been poisoned by lead. And I had my mercury amalgam, seventeen of them that I didn't yeah. just. If I would have gone to a, any kind of naturopath or anyone else, they would have recommended, you know, getting rid of those things thirty years ago, twenty years ago. But I like never did. Actually, I, I'm a traditionally trained physician, George. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. My dad actually got his out about. 20, 30 years ago, except um, the guy, I think, who took him out didn't know what he was doing, and it, it probably made it worse. Made him sick. 
Yeah, yeah, he was very sick at, at some points. And he he had a lot of environmental sensitivities, actually, uh, which is, you know, from, from a couple of your other podcasts, the metal exposures and all sorts of stuff can cause that. So, uh, yeah, he, he suffered. So you at least got it done right, but a little bit later. I, I was 69. <laughs> God. It's tough stuff. Um, yeah, but back to the jet fuel. So the, the jet fuel um, was changed, and it generates more soot. And as we were talking about, the soot creates the contrails. So people say there are more contrails than there were 30 years ago. The answer is yes. They say it lasts longer. The answer is yes, because the fuel changed. There's more soot. There's more nanoparticles in the soot. And the clouds form around the nanoparticles. The ice forms around the nanoparticles. That's it. You know, Jim Lee actually said, Jet engines happen to be great cloud-making devices. They just because they spew soot into very high up in the atmosphere. Um, but in effect, but but the notion that they're spraying us to kill us, and a lot of people think they're spraying us to kill us. The other people think they're spraying us to block out the sun. They may be intentionally blocking out the sun, but it's also be, it's because of pollution at the end of the day. You know, we never used to say the car pollution is spraying the street or they're spraying our cities, right? We never called it spraying the city. We said it was car pollution. There's a different connotation. If you're saying they're spraying us with metals, the intent is to make people afraid that someone's intentionally trying to kill you by spraying you with metals, right? That's, and, and I think that's really what, what I'm trying to get at with this stuff is Let's dispel the fear. Let's talk about pollution because, in a, you know, and if you want to go listen to to uh, Jim, he talks. He he's researched a lot about it. You know, one thing he says is that there's ten thousand soot particles per square centimeter up in the uh, I believe it's in the tropopause, uh, which is quite high up. Um, that the space agency, the Indian space agency measures. So that's a lot of soot and it takes three years to come out of there. Right. So it is creating things, you know, he says it creates a white sky. He says, everybody's distracted by the clouds. He goes, that's not it. It's creating the white sky, which is blocking sunlight. One of the interesting things, and this is again, factual, when 9-11 happened, it was the first time in, I don't know, 40 years where no planes were flying for a few days over North America. And these, a couple guys did a brilliant little study and they measured a bunch of temperatures the days before, the day's thing, the thing. And what they noticed was that there was a difference in the temperature on the ground. It was without the planes, it was cooler, it was warmer during the day and cooler during the night. So with the planes between the clouds and the haze, it actually becomes cooler during the day and warmer during the night. So the temperature gap is lower. There's a bit of a difference. It was one or two degrees, something like that, that they measured. It was an interesting study. So it's doing something, but it's pollution. And I think, I mean, we've been dealing with pollution as long as I've been alive. We're fighting with corporations that are polluting things. Um, and, you know, as you've talked about it, the agencies are corrupted and, and all those things, and, and they're doing it for money reasons. Um, you know, someone someone asked Jim and said, are they, did they put all these things in the fuels on purpose? He said, well, the reality is this stuff's in crude oil, and it's cheaper not to take it out than it is to put it in. Well, I want to make, make it clear that uh, neither George nor I ascribes to the uh, warming of the earth or the climate change or any of that stuff. I mean, there, there are different, there, there are temperatures that can be measured, but to measure the temperature of the whole globe is uh, almost impossible and to, to see trends. And the other thing is, is that we have uh, global temperature estimates from ice cores taken in the Arctic or the Antarctic. I can't remember which, but these ice cores uh, show the, uh, carbon dioxide over uh, literally thousands of years or maybe millions of years. I want to say 40 million, but I don't have, my memory banks aren't that, aren't that uh, good anymore. I interviewed uh, the uh, uh, 
Greenpeace guy uh, who was head of Greenpeace for a while, and he was very credible. And I actually copied his slides, and I, I have that on a post that I'll reference in the show notes. But there, there's no evidence of that. And CO2 trends are uh, minuscule, and they're not malignant. I mean, the bottom line with CO2 is that it's, it produces better plant growth, and it would be good for the environment if it increased. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the other interesting about CO2 is uh, it trails the temperature over historically. So when they take those ice cores, they measured it, the temperature goes up first, then the CO2 goes up. So um, also is interesting. Uh, you know, one of the things I learned during the pandemic years, because um, I did a lot more investigation into these models, right? So we saw these pandemic models and the, all these papers you know, hockey stick of deaths and all these other things that were going to occur from viral whatevers. And I actually, um, there was a, one of the, there was a software guy who went and took the model from Ferguson and looked at the code. And it was, you know, I'm a software guy as a, I make my living off building software and it was, it was garbage. Um, and the more I looked into these models, basically, the model, the study of the model basically outputs what the assumptions they put in are. It's based on assumptions. All these models are based on assumptions, a lot of simplifying assumptions. How on earth did they think they can put a computer model to detect the transmission of viruses in a society as complicated as ours? I don't know how they thought that would ever remotely be. So that's a model. Most of the climate stuff that you were referring to is all model based like they they all the projections they're making are model based i wouldn't trust any of those models certainly not without a ton of due diligence and none of that due diligence has been done yeah ferguson so. is a racketeer in a racketeering conspiracy that's the story and the the leaders of it are obscure so what but they all use those same models like there's even here where I live, there's a big university and they were publishing model-based stuff, which was absolute trash. And so that got me, you know, I looked into the, I looked into the climate thing a couple of years ago for the same, I drilled into it. And I'm like, and then I saw it was all based on what they literally try and model is like a square kilometer of the earth and all the inputs and outputs of heat. How are they ever going to get that right in a, in a million years like it's it's such a simplified concept of how complicated our our earth system is i mean we can't even model our bodies let alone the whole climate of the earth like it's just i think it's hubris to think we could model it accurately and make accurate forecasts based on those models I was always contemptuous of medical academics when I was in training, and I never understood quite why, but I smelled a rat. And in the last few years, I understand that their their science, quote science, is so adulterated as to be worthless. I mean, it's it's amazing how bad medical science is and how much it depends on the economic inputs from these uh, pathological or, you know, psychopathic corporations. It, you you it, you know it's uh i don't know if it's exley or one of the other substackers who's a former professor now ousted out of their university but they a lot of them have talked about the degradation of uh, academic research just over a period of decades and it, it really i mean it does boil down to the money right who's funding it and the funding models you know in our in my lifetime basically have shifted totally from at one time, I, a lot of it was public funding to almost completely corporate driven, or even if it is public, it's still profit driven funding. That's that's never going to give us anything other than heavily biased results. George, do you want to uh, switch before we sign off and discuss uh, the space based energy weapons briefly? And I can I can make a little statement at the beginning and you can, in the beginning and you can uh, laugh at it if you want. Go ahead and make the statement. So this the other unlikely tale going around, or one of the other one of the dozens of unlikely tales is that the space-based energy weapons destroyed Lahaina Maui. So anything's possible. We know that, but why do you have to postulate a new, never before described technology when plenty of Judases will be happy to light fires for a few pieces of silver? <laughs> 
I mean, I've seen fires do very strange things when I examined the houses that were burned by brush fires in Altadena, California, several decades ago. And this story seems to be another psyop, but what do I know? I have no advanced degrees in Star Wars weaponry. Those who do are playing video games, practice their onanism techniques, debate about alien invasion landing modules, and generally waste our money at the Pasadena Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I mean, I always thought those guys had something that I didn't know because I never understood what they said. So recently, I, I've discovered that when you don't understand something, it's because you're being bullshitted. <laughs> so anyway, you tell me what you think about all that. Yeah, and I, I've done a little bit of um, research on this, just a little bit, but it, there's there's no again i'll go back to it there's no hard evidence like the it's like the plane spraying there was zero hard evidence that i could validate that showed spraying planes and now i've got a good explanation that the fuel type changed okay that explains all the phenomena people were were upset about um fire people think they know how fire works uh, you you said it yourself you've seen very strange things with fire when you mix fire wind and fuel you can get very, very odd things that can happen. Um, you know, people point to a windshield and they go, oh, look, the windshield's melted in the car. Um, the fire had to have been such and such a degree to do that. And you know what? I, so I, like I do, I went and I looked up all the details. You know what's inside the front windshield of a car? Plastic, because it keeps it from shattering, right? So that if something hits it, it doesn't break into pieces and fall in your... They got plastic in the the shot the the windshield the front windshield of your car will melt at a very low temperature, right? It doesn't take a high. So when they say, "Oh, look at the car, it melted," the windshield, therefore, whatever, and then you know they show another one. The um, the they show a Jeep, and the Jeep was missing the hood. They're like, "Oh, the hood melted. That that must have been a temperature of whatever. It's an aluminum hood." And so I'm, I'm like, that seems odd. So I go look up a Jeep. Well, wouldn't you know? Well, how is it? Jeeps are special. How is their hood put on? It's put on with plastic clips. Because you can flip it up and take it off really easy. So the Jeep has plastic clips to hold down the hood. Well, yeah, the plastic clips are going to melt. And if there's a wind, like a hurricane wind, it's going to blow that thing away. And you're going to see a car with a missing hood that you think melted, you know? So it's little stuff like that. When I, when I look at the, and people were posting, you know, they posted a, the Lahaina fire, they posted a, a picture from a plane flying by and it was a ring of fire, right? It was black in the middle. There was a ring of fire and the, that must've been a direct energy weapon. Well, let me tell you how fire works. And, you know, it was interesting because I, I own a, I have a cottage kind of out in the middle of nowhere. There's a forest and there's. You're, you're going to come back and somebody's going to blast it from space because of what we said here. Well, maybe someone's going to blast me from space. That's possible. If there's a, if there's a char where my home is in a couple of days, we'll know what happens. But. You better um, move into a hotel for a few days. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. But, but so, you know, one of the bozos was, burning leaves on a windy day in the spring, you know, people are like, oh, it's springtime. It's, there's a lot of dry brush in the spring and they caught their cottage on fire. And that cottage radiated so much heat, but it radiated it and the wind blew it, but it lit, it ignited, it radiated so much heat, it ignited the cottage beside it. And then there were embers flying around, all the leaves on the ground burned. The trees were fine, the leaves all burned. So you, the ground was charred. The, leaf, the trees were fine. There was a tree on the other side, very close to the cottage. It was still standing, but it was dead. It didn't last very many years after it died, but it looked like it was fine. You know, so there's all these weird things. And then there was a field in between, a good distance between my cottage and it. And a fire had started there. And my sister happened to be at my cottage and they put it out. But what did it form? A perfect circle because it starts and then it burns out. So they showed from the plane this circle of fire and I'm like, yeah, that's what fires do. That's exactly what they do. But no, it's an energy weapon. So there's no evidence 
that I can see of an energy weapon. I've never seen, you know, and I watch those military videos. They've got some pretty powerful stuff. They do have direct energy weapons. It's called lasers, and they shoot them at things. And they've even created these big lasers they can put, but they're huge, and they take up huge power plants. Very heavy. And they shoot down drones, right? But they don't even have very many of them. They're so expensive. They're so thick. And you can't hide one of them. Are you going to put that up in space with a nuclear? Like when they launch satellites, they're like, I'm sure there's military satellites. I'm sure that have stuff on them, but it's way easier to, I mean, you said it, a gas can starts the fire just as easily. Well, in Lahaina, we saw the electrical, I saw videos of the, the electrical wires on the ground sparking. That creates fire. We also know it was super dry because they had a fire just a couple of years before that almost did the same thing because there was so much dry brush there. And then you talk about it's because there used to be sugarcane farms and then the corporation left. And so they left the fields and it's just all dry brush now. And they knew this was a problem in something like 2019, the Lahaina whatever wrote a report that said they had a big fire risk. I mean, you add all that up, it takes a gas can or two. To, maybe there was someone set it on purpose. For That's possible. I mean, we had all those uh, Canadian wildfires this past summer. They've now charged, I don't know how many people was setting, like each person set 15 fires. Yeah, a mat, a can of gasoline. Why on earth would you take a secret space weapon to start a fire? And because you're going to blow your secret? Like, honestly, I cannot think of a motive. If I, Even if I had a direct energy weapon, like, why wouldn't I use it in Ukraine too, right? These things don't weapon. seem to be censored on YouTube. They, they promote this just to scare the hell out of everyone. It, it just, I, I've, there's no technology that I've seen that remotely resembles what people claim this has been done. And, you know, you know I remember seeing a, a, one of the guys from the California fires who was claiming direct energy weapons as well. And he was a plant guy, so, and and he went there and took pictures, and he shows a picture, but he shows a picture of a fence post with char marks on it, and he's like, "Look, the char marks are right where the nails are. It must have been a microwave." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> like oh, I know, I, I saw I know pictures how microwave transmitters work because because Wi-Fi uses a microwave transmitter, so does your Bluetooth." I so saw that, pictures from Australia where people got a sunburn-like reaction from something or other they were spraying the crowds with. But, you know, I don't have any any more to say about that. Well, I mean, you can spray a chemical on someone and they'll react to the sun. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was a chemical spray. There's all sorts of stuff. That, yeah. I mean, they used to spray DDT on beaches, right? <laughs> Is there, do you, George, you've been a gym, George, and I, I've, I've relaxed during our entire conversation as I laugh my way through it. Uh, it's not a funny joke. Um, there are, there are tremendous problems. And if we can recognize the pollution, we'll do better. Do, are there any other major points that you want to uh, make before I sign off with a gratuitous story? I, I think, again, I just say we, we don't need this fear-based stuff. There's pollution. And like you said, there's pollution and it's a problem. And we should focus on those problems and not be scared that every bad thing that happened is because some government agency is out to kill us all. It just, that doesn't help anything. Doesn't they help are it. out to kill us all, George. They might be, but some of if, them are. If you think every single thing you encounter yeah. in everyday life is something that's out to kill you, then you're not going to live a good life. I can tell you that. And you're going to die. You're going to give yourself cancer. <laughs> a, philosopher, a philosopher and an engineer and a geek extraordinaire. This is George. And I really appreciate your friendship, George. George and I have a road trip planned soon with the wives. So hopefully we can make that happen. I, the, my last gratuitous story is a promotion of active self-protection, which is there are uh, these uh, videos that are taken surreptitiously everywhere and they catch people shooting each other and doing all kinds of criminal activity, especially at gas stations. And this, it was a video of a woman who was filling her car with gas and five little hoods between 15 and 18 years old jumped out of a minivan and she hosed them down with the gasoline, didn't even have to threaten to light it. And the kids jumped back in their minivan and sped off. I don't know if they got caught or not, but there, there's clear video documentation of that. You may be able to find that. Anyway, that's that's my last gratuitous story.
it's it's nasty. I don't know if you've ever gotten gasoline in your mouth or anything. You can so. you can drink a pint of gasoline. Don't try it, but you can drink a pint of gasoline and not be the worse for wear. It typically does not cause anything but stomach upset. It's not a yeah, place. but but it's not nice. It's no, very, it's not nice. It's <laughs> very like I tried siphoning and then I got a little bit in my mouth and it was awful. It was like. <laughs> So I don't blame those kids for running. <laughs> that was a super effective way to get rid of those kids. So if you're at that gas pump and you don't, you don't have your gun in your pocket, that's, you got your weapon that might be better a anyway. Well, I'm grateful for your time and this has been just tremendous. And I'm sure this will be a popular episode. Any other last comments? No, that's great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks again. We'll chat soon.